weekdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on The Voice of America. Voice of America. Sporty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the November 11th edition of the Sunny Side of Sports. Lots of World Cup football news on Friday's show. The sports premiere event kicks off November 20th when Qatar will host Ecuador in the opening match. The Atlas Lions of Morocco will be making their sixth World Cup appearance. And Morocco's head coach has named a 26-player team for the big tournament. As we hear now from birthday boy, Samson O'Malle. Happy birthday, Samson, and sporty Friday greetings. Sporty Friday greetings to you too, Sunny. We begin the wrap of Africa Sports Highlight for this weekend with the final preparations for the 2022 Qatar World Cup by African teams representing the continent at the World Cup. With exactly nine days to the start of the World Cup, the Moroccan coach Walid Rigagri unveiled on Thursday his list of 26 players for the World Cup. The Atlas Lions will rely on the attacking talent of Hakim Ziyech, the Chelsea winger, who has returned to the national team after being dropped by the previous coach, Vahid Halihojik. Another returnee is Abdurazak Hamdala of Etihad FC, who publicly apologized for having slammed the door at the African Cup of Nations in 2019. But the big surprise in the selection is a teenager from Belgium by the name of Bilal El Hanouis, who is only 18 years old. Uh, an amazing team with uh, a lot of quality, a lot of uh, players who play in uh, big leagues in uh, Europe, also for big teams. I think we can do we can do something special. Like what uh, nobody is thinking of, I think we can uh, we can uh, achieve that. Morocco will play in Group F and will on November the 23rd play their first match against Croatia. The Atlas Lions will then face Romelu Lukaku's Belgium before meeting Alfonso Davies of Canada. Cameroon, another African country going to the World Cup, has unveiled a list of 26 indomitable Lions for the World Cup. The coach Rigobert Sang named Abubakar Vincent and Jean-Eric Maxim Chupuamuateng, as well as Napoli's Zamba and Guisa in the squad. There are many surprises, however, with the presence of defender Nicolas Unklolu back after a three-year absence. He was preferred to one of the captains of the squad, Michael Ngadu, although he was considered indispensable by the coach a few weeks ago. Brian Mbiomu, Cameroon and Brentford of England forward says the approach during the World Cup will be taking each game at a time. The, the first thing is to to enjoy this moment because uh, it's, it happened only uh, every four years and sometimes you can not be uh, uh, qualified to the World Cup. So, yeah, of course, we, we don't want to be... They are just just to figure it. We we want to do something as well, but uh, yeah, uh, playing game by game per game. Sorry, and uh, yeah, I'll go as far as we can. 
Elsewhere, Timothy Ware, the son of Liberian President George Ware, is among the 26 players selected to represent the United States at the World Cup in Qatar. Born in Brooklyn, the 22-year-old striker is fulfilling a dream that even his illustrious father, who won the Golden Ball in 1995, had not achieved. He has scored three goals, including one against Morocco in a friendly last June. He won't be the only Liberian-born player heading to Qatar, as coach Greg Behalter has chosen to call up Haji Wright, the young striker from Antalyaspor in Turkey. In Ghana, that country's sports minister Mustafa Usif says the government has no plans to airlift fans to Qatar 2022 with taxpayers' money. According to the minister, the decision has been necessitated by the current economic hardship that Ghana is facing. And now to the CAF Women Champions League, where the finalists have been determined. Defending champions Mebaludi Sundowns reached the final for the second successive CAF Women's Champions League tournament following a 1-0 victory over Simba Queens in Rabat. Host Asfar secured a 1-0 semi-final victory over Bayaso Queens of Nigeria to set up a final clash against holders Mamaludi Sundowns. Away from football now, Ghana Minister of Youth and Sport Mustafa Usif says pulling out from hosting the 2023 African Games will be unwise due to the vast amount of resources that have already been committed. His comments come after former Ghana President Mahama suggested that the country should reconsider its decision to host the games if it is not too late due to the country's current economic difficulties. The sports minister, however, believes the games which takes off in August next year will rather help Ghana's struggling economy. What the former president failed to understand that the government have already committed resources, almost 200 million, and in provided sports infrastructure. Is he saying that we should leave those investments to go waste? No. Once we have committed, we all recognize that we are in difficult times. But we have already put in an investment, huge investment in place. So we will not allow that investment to go away. Let's leverage on that investment and bring back the economy. Because once we are organizing the game, it's going to boost tourism potential of our country. Over 7,000 athletes and officials are going to come. We are going to have broadcasting rights. You are going to have a lot of activities. In netball news, South African netball on Thursday confirmed that South Africa Proteas will play host to Scotland and Zimbabwe for the Super Diamond Challenge after a four-year hiatus. The Proteas netball side will compete in the three-country tournament set from 22nd to the 26th of November at the University of Pretoria's Rambrat Hall. South Africa will host Scotland and Zimbabwe following the withdrawal of Malawi. And elsewhere, Ugandan Shikri's netball team who finished fifth at the 2022 Fast Five Series have returned home to a rousing welcome. The Shikri's national netball team secured three victories, one against eventual winners Australia 32-30 and two wins over Jamaica. Australia overcame another African side, South Africa 34-20 to win the championship. Head coach of the She Cranes is Fred Mugawa. The performance generally was good. Uh, this part uh, that uh, this was our first uh, championship. We have never played the first five, and uh, that was our first time. And in fact, when we reached there, we found that there were some changes in the rules, which are uh, good enough that we went there about two, three days earlier, which made us to adjust to according to those rules. Because when we left here, we had an old rule that we were using, but reaching there, we were, they were surprised that we are still using the old rule. So. They tried, to, they tried to assist us and they, we managed to cope up very, very fast. The Ugandan Shikrins will now prepare to improve on their performance at the 2023 Netball World Cup that will be played between July 28th to August 6th in Cape Town City, South Africa. 
In cricket news, Cricket South Africa Director of Cricket, Enoch Nkwe, says the sports body will be taking accountability by conducting a comprehensive review of the performance of the country's cricket team to the recently concluded ICC T20 World Cup. South Africa denied themselves any chance of reaching the playoffs with an embarrassing 13-run loss to Netherlands in their final group march. The Director of Cricket confirmed that the panel will spearhead the process which would take place over the next few weeks. Look, I think it is it is important that um, you know we, we do review in terms of what, what has actually happened. We are in the process of putting a panel together to ensure that uh, the review is very clinical. And um, although you know we already obviously started the plans post World Cup uh, because we actually know what lies ahead in the next five years. So obviously it is I mean disappointing in terms of the result, the outcome of the World Cup. Elsewhere in the Gambia, the Gambia National Cricket Association team has intensified training ahead of their 2022-2023 Cricket World Cup qualifiers. The team will use their training sessions to prepare for the cricket qualifiers to be staged in Kigali, Rwanda next month. Four Namibian gymnasts are in Belgium to compete in the International Rhythmic Gymnastic Competition. The gymnasts include Joy Kaboy, Kenananjo Mupia, Peya Kashaka, and Emilia Nkanju. It's very like exciting to go there to learn something new, to compete against other girls, to see what they can do so that maybe I can also learn it. This opportunity is really important to me because not only am I going for the competition, but I'll also be coming back with a lot of new experience and I'll also learn new skills and I'll learn how to handle with all my like stress and stuff. So I'm really looking forward to this opportunity and I see it as a really good outcome in the end as well. This opportunity is quite important because this is my first international competition as a senior gymnast and I feel that I'll gain more experience in the sport and as well understand more about it. The week-long competition will end on the 15th of November and Namibia is the only African country participating. Thank you, Samson Omale. And once again, happy birthday. I'm VOA Sonny Young in Washington and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Follow the sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. More World Cup news. Bayern Munich star Sadio Mane was named to Senegal's 26-player World Cup team Friday in spite of a recent leg injury. Senegal's head coach, Aliou Cisse, said he hoped Mane's condition would improve within a few weeks. Cisse also said he's really optimistic the injury would not require an operation. The 30-year-old Mane suffered the injury Tuesday in Bayern Munich's 6-1 victory over Werder Bremen. Head coach Cisse captain Senegal at the 2002 World Cup in Japan and South Korea. He told reporters in Dakar Friday, and I quote, We will give ourselves all the necessary means to allow Sadio Mane to recover. Mane's fitness is a major concern for African champion Senegal. The country's president, Macky Saw, wrote on Twitter this week, and I quote, Sadio, heart of a lion, all my heart is with you. 
Sadio Mane is regarded as the heart of Senegal's team, which plays the Netherlands November 21st in its opening World Cup match. Meanwhile, FIFA will use innovative technology to assist the referees and match officials at the World Cup in Qatar. Joining us with more details is VOA's Gwen Uten. Sporty greetings, Gwen. Sporty greetings, Sonny. With just nine days until this year's FIFA World Cup kicks off in Qatar, 32 teams and over 100 referees and match officials are preparing to put their physical and technical skills to the test on the sport's biggest stage. And in what is being called an extraordinary development in match officiating, the upcoming tournament will use semi-automated offside technology that will send an alert to the video assistant referee when a player is offside. FIFA promises the support tool will help officials make more accurate offside decisions. And FIFA Refereeing Committee Chairman Pierluigi Colina says the new technology will reduce the time it takes to review all on-field calls. We are working on a more consistent use of VAR, in particular concerning the line of intervention, as well as we are aware that sometimes the length of checks and reviews is definitely too long, in particular concerning offside. The technology will use nearly a dozen strategically placed cameras to continuously collect up to 29 data points on each individual player and calculate their exact position on the pitch. And a chip at the center of the match ball will track every touch and provide an unprecedented level of ball movement data within seconds. The technology has been given the nickname Robot Line but Pierluigi Colina insists human referees aren't out of a job yet. The match officials are still involved in the decision-making process as the, the semi-automated offside gives an answer only when a player who was in an offside position plays the ball. In other words, the assessment of uh, uh, interfering with an opponent remains uh, a match official's uh, responsibility. Over the summer, refs and match officials across the globe gathered for three-day seminars organized by FIFA to ensure smooth and successful competitions. All 129 World Cup officials were put to the test in both theoretical classes and on-field training sessions that simulated live matches. And as Pierre Luigi Colina explains, despite a more innovative tournament, the seminars help prepare refs referees to be less reliant on technology. Our objective is uh, to, uh, to prepare the referee as best as possible uh, to avoid uh, to use the technology. But the technology is there to, to avoid that uh, a mistake uh, is committed. Uh, even the best referee can commit a mistake, he's a human being, we know it, uh, and uh, that's why we, we implemented uh, a, a system using tools that uh, can really reduce uh, the, the possibility that uh, a human mistake can affect the outcome of a match.
And FIFA refereeing director Massimo Busaka adds each seminar provided a way for referees and match officials from all six confederations to train together, much like a national team. It's like a football team. They have to prepare everything perfectly to arrive also very well prepared in the most important competition we have in sports. So here uh, we analyze situation, we discuss about concept, topics, and whatever really to, to be on the same page. Like a player who want to win the game, want to score a goal, have to understand exactly what, uh, what you have to do. And for us, preparation is crucial. 36 referees, 69 assistant referees, and 24 video match officials have been selected for this year's tournament. And among them, three will make history as the first women to officiate matches at the Men's World Cup tournament. At the start of this year, Rwandan Salima Mukansanga became the first woman to referee a match in the Africa Cup of Nations. And following her appointment, Mukansanga said becoming the first woman to officiate an AFCON match will pave the way for more female referees on the continent. We are here not because we had favor to be here. It's just chance. It's no, because we deserve to be here. We have a background and from that background is passion and from that passion is hard work and from that hard work, this is the fruit. So Back home, we have been working very hard because a lot say women, they can't run at the pace of men's speed and whatever. Yes, uh, we can't be men, but we can do our best to be on the same level. Japan's Yoshimi Yamashita became her country's first woman professional football referee in August. And she believes the time has come to normalize female refs on the pitch. Yamashita says for us women to participate in the Men's World Cup for the first time is sending a message that there are more possibilities for women in the future. I myself feel it all the time. In 2020, French referee Stephanie Fropar made football history when she became the first woman to officiate at a men's UEFA Champions League match. This year, she became the first woman to referee a men's French Cup final. And now, ahead of her World Cup debut, Fopar says breaking ground in the sport has prepared all the women to take charge in the upcoming tournament. And we weren't allowed because uh, every game is uh, it's a training for us. It's also more experience, uh, more management with the players. So every game, every year, we improve a lot. So I think we will be ready for the World Cup. The trio will be joined by Brazilian Nusa Back, Mexico's Karen Diaz Medina, and American Catherine Nesbitt, three female referees who've been named to assist on the pitch. This year's historic World Cup will be the first to take place in the Middle East and the first to be held in the winter at the end of the calendar year. The tournament kicks off with a standalone opening match between Ecuador and host country Qatar on November 20th. And that is all for me, Sonny. Back over to you. Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uten.
This is Heather Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station, Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. This is Sunday Idol Sports. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and our panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including results of the critically important U.S. midterm elections. We'll examine how these results could impact the lives of Americans in the months ahead. For this and more, join us for Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. My Voice of America colleague, Muck Bill Yabarro, joins us now for more World Cup talk. Sporty World Cup greetings, Muck Bill. Sporty World Cup greetings to you too, Sonny. Muck Bill, Tunisia is in Group D for the World Cup, along with Australia, Denmark, and defending champion France. Who are the top players for the Carthage Eagles of Tunisia? This is one of the tougher groups for any African team, Sonny. Would I want to be in a group with France and Denmark? (laughs) I don't think so. But nonetheless, if there was an African team that could make some magic happen in this group, it would be the Carthage Eagles of Tunisia. I'd say the top players to watch for the Tunisian side should start with the captain, Dylan Braun, who also plays for the Syria side, Salernitana, and he will be the center of their defense. And as they say, defense wins championships, so he will be huge for their success. Next, I'll have to say the midfielder Elias Shakiri that plays for the Bundesliga side Cologne. He's an outstanding player that holds the midfield down and he has an amazing work rate and he never gives up on plays. Lastly, I would say Yusuf Msekni, who I feel like will be one of their go-to scorers. He's 31 years old and has had a bit of injury that has caused him to be in and out of the national team for some years. But when he's on the squad, he makes a lasting impression. The 50-year-old Tunisian Jalel Kadri was appointed head coach of the Carthage Eagles in January 2022. He's one of five local coaches leading African teams in Qatar. That's a World Cup first for Africa. Muckbill, do you like local coaches leading African teams? Or do you think European coaches could perhaps provide better tactics and experience? That's an excellent question, and I honestly can't say there's a concrete answer on this, unfortunately. I feel like there are great points for either side. The plus side of having a local coach is that he's probably been around these players for a few years. He's also seen their development and knows their game and what they can and cannot do on the field. He also probably can relate more to them, and that's very, very integral for being a coach. As for the European coaches, they come in and provide a lot of expertise on the game, a lot of them having coached on higher levels. But, and I will say this, a lot of times it doesn't necessarily correlate to wins. 
As we've seen for years, African teams have been led by European or South American coaches, but they haven't been that successful. So why not give the local guys a try and see what happens? Muckbill, what has Tunisia's record been like at previous World Cups? Sonny, Tunisia hasn't had a ton of success in their past World Cups, unfortunately, but hopefully this one will be different. They've been in five other World Cups in the years, 1978, 1998, 2002, 2006, and 2018. This year will be their sixth appearance and potentially their first time out of the group stages. Tunisia will kick off its World Cup campaign on November 22nd when it plays Denmark. Now, Denmark's best World Cup performance came in 1998 when it reached the quarterfinals in France. Muckbill, how do you see this Tunisia-Denmark encounter? Sonny, I think that this game is vital for Tunisia. If they're able to win or draw, it'll make their chances that much better for getting out of the group stages. I think they can beat Australia, and with a tie in the Denmark game, they'd have about four points. I don't see them stacking that well against the French side, who are the former champions. But the beauty of football is that anyone can win as long as it's just one game. The main player that Tunisia has to worry about, in my opinion, would be Christian Eriksen, the captain that also plays midfield for Manchester United. He's great at controlling the tempo of the midfield, and he is also a midfielder that loves to push the ball forward and score. If they can try and contain him a bit, they'll have a good chance in their clash with Denmark. Muckbill, economically and culturally, Tunisia and Qatar have close ties In fact, the Arab Gulf States Institute here in Washington reported at the end of 2020, Qatar was the top Arab investor in Tunisia and the second highest foreign investor after France. For Tunisia, Muckbill, do you think such close economic ties can pay off in a good World Cup performance in Qatar? That's an excellent question, Sonny. I feel like great performances in football require a lot of things. Your fan base being there to support you is key. And the fact that culturally, Qatar and Tunisia, both being Arab-speaking countries, may make them a bit more comfortable playing there. It might also feel like a home game to some of the players. Yusuf Msekni is one of the players to watch that I mentioned earlier, and he plays for a Qatari side, Al-Duhal. So he's definitely at home over there. So he may give that same energy and vibe to the rest of the team. That's all for me, Sonny. Back to you. Thanks, Muckbill. That's my VOA colleague, Muckbill Yabaro, speaking with us here in Washington. This is the voice of... Of America, Washington, D.C. It's the Veterans Day holiday here in the United States. We close Friday's show with this Voice of America editorial about the holiday. Next, an editorial reflecting American ideals and institutions. On November 11th, the people of the United States celebrate Veterans Day to honor military veterans of the United States Armed Forces. Although most U.S. federal holidays fall on the Monday closest to the actual date of the event they honor, Veterans Day is one of the few that is always observed on November 11th. 
That's because it stems from an armistice that went into effect on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in the year 1918, and thus ended the fighting of the First World War, though not the war itself. That would not happen until June 28, 1919, when the First World War officially ended with the signing of the Treaty of Versailles. Nonetheless, the public considered November 11, 1918 to be the end of the conflict. For two decades, November 11 was unofficially celebrated as Armistice Day. Finally, in May 1938, the U.S. Congress proclaimed it to be an official federal holiday, a day to be dedicated to the cause of world peace and to be thereafter celebrated and known as Armistice Day, honoring veterans of the First World War. In 1954, President Dwight Eisenhower expanded the holiday to honor all who have served in uniform, both in war and peace. And in 1971, Armistice Day became Veterans Day, thus better reflecting the spirit of the celebration. Today we pay homage to the unrelenting bravery and dedication that distinguish all those who have earned the title of American Veteran, said President Joe Biden. It's an honor that only a small percentage of Americans can claim and one that marks those who are able to claim it as brothers and sisters. It's a badge of courage that unites across all ages, regardless of background, because to be a veteran is to have endured and survived challenges most Americans will never know. You've come through the trials and testing, braved dangers and deprivations, faced down the tragic realities of war and death, said President Biden. To all our veterans, past and present, we thank you. We honor you. And we remember always what you've done for us. That was an editorial reflecting American ideals and institutions. And that wraps up the November 11th Veterans Day edition of the Sunny Side of Sports. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington.